gathering here for worship uh, down in uh, Texas, of course, there was a, a church massacre, um, and, uh, you know, half the congregation uh, was killed. And so um, I want to let you know and just make you aware, uh, if it's comforting, I hope it is. If it's disturbing, then I, I don't mean for it to be. Um, but we, we do take precautions as best we can for those things. We're working on that. Uh, Jeff Gentry, uh, who is the assistant chief of police at Murray State, he is the leader of our security team here, and we have several folks who are involved. Uh, and, in fact, there's someone sitting uh, on the other side. Junior Carroll is on the other side of those closed doors right now, and uh, Jeff is over in the other building uh, to, to kind of keep watch and guard that. Uh, you noticed earlier the guys locking the doors. We do lock these side doors. There are doors that you can come in on, the, on this back building. Those are locked. There's one down underneath. That gets locked. One that goes into the side on the other building, that gets locked. The only entry point on Sunday morning, in this building is right back there, and the only entry point uh, on Sunday morning on the other building is right over there. I say that just because we want you to know uh, that we're doing all we can to make sure that we are as safe as possible uh, here at church. Uh, it is a, a different time, obviously, and we have to do those things. And uh, We are in the process of making sure that our security team has the training that it needs uh, for any particular situation that might arise. Uh, we know there are certain things completely out of our control. Uh, you know, we, we cannot... Uh, convince ourselves and fool ourselves and be naive enough into thinking that we can control every variable and so on. We can't. Uh, we take an inherent risk by going anywhere in public. Uh, we take an inherent risk by showing up here at church. That is simply the way that it is. And yet, uh, we do want to be wise in the risk management of those things. We do not want to simply stick our collective heads in the sand and say, well, we're at worship. Surely God would not let anything happen to us while we worship him. Um, Obviously, last Sunday proved that there are times uh, when that certainly is not the case. And so, uh, anyway, we just want you to know uh, we are doing all that we can. Uh, we, we don't want to, to alarm you in any way, uh, but we just do want you to know we do have a security team. Uh, they they will be trained and, and uh, helped to make sure that we do what we do as well as we can. Uh, at the same time, I, would, I do want you to know we're not running Fort Knox here. Um, I, I, we're not running a, a military installation. We're not running a police force. We're, we're not running that. Well, this is a church. Uh, we will continue to gather. Uh, we will continue to worship God as we always have. We will continue to take the inherent risk uh, that our country provides for us uh, and that certainly just being Christians provides for us. So I just want you to know that. Um, uh, it, I, I thought of the scripture in, in Acts chapter 5, and, I, and I, I think it applies to some degree. It's a little bit different, but um, in Acts chapter 5, the, the apostles Peter and John, uh, they, they were arrested and taken before the high priest. And the high priest says to them in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, he says, didn't, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Talking about the name of Jesus. And look, <laughs> this is great, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. They had a guilty conscience. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And a Pharisee named Galamiel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, 
Be careful about what you're going to do to these men. Not long ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his partisans were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas the Galilean rose up, and in those days of the census, uh, and attracted a following. That man also perished, and his partisans were scattered. And now, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this, if this plan or work is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. So they were persuaded by him. And after they had called the apostles and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be dishonored on behalf of the name, the name of Jesus. Every day in the temple complex and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that the Messiah is Jesus. Uh, you know, every every Sunday morning when I when I stand up here, and either one of those doors opens or that door opens, I get a little nervous. I just want you to know that. Because I live in this country too, and I'm just as human as you are. But I know that I have a responsibility that no matter what happens, to every day stand up and continue teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't feel as if in America I put my life on the line every Sunday to do that, as some pastors do in various parts of the world who literally put their lives on the line and they know they're doing that. And yet I just want you to know it makes me a little nervous too. And yet, I believe it was John Wayne or somebody who said, courage isn't the absence of fear, courage is being scared and saddling up anyway. And so, I, I want you to know we're, we're going to do our best to saddle up anyway every Sunday. To gather together and worship the Lord. We're going to have people who are doing their best to protect us and to make sure that nothing happens. And if it does happen... And we will trust that we have proclaimed the name of Jesus and honored Him, even if it means it's the last time we do it. So I just want you to know those things. If you've got questions about it, I'll be standing in the back. You, no, there's no question that's, that's out of bounds. We just we want to be honest with you and tell you what's going on. But we're doing the best we can to protect the folks that are in here and certainly our children uh, and volunteers that are in the other building. Okay, I just want to share that with you. I addressed it a little bit on Facebook, talked about it Wednesday night with our, with our Wednesday night group, but I just want you to know we're doing the best that we can with that. Uh, but we do take an inherent risk anywhere we go in public and certainly gathering in a group. That's just an inherent risk. And so I'm pleased that you're here this morning. I'm excited to see you. Um, pray for the folks uh, who have been affected, uh, certainly in Texas. Pray for the folks who are scared to death now to do anything like going to a church. Now is the opportunity to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus, that he is the Messiah. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and, <clears throat> and then we'll turn uh, toward the uh, the sermon this morning. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we lift up first this morning our brothers and sisters down in Texas. Lord, who experienced such a... I mean, it's just unimaginable. Lord, we don't have answers for that. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for folks, even even like our own <clears throat> Southern Baptist Convention, just stepping in to pay for funeral expenses and other folks are in that community. Lord, whether they are of the same denomination or not, of course it makes no difference. Lord, we just we thank you for so many brothers and sisters in Christ who will rally to their support. And we pray that you give them healing simply one step at a time. Lord, I pray for the pastor of that church who lost his own daughter. Lord, we pray that you would heal broken hearts, that you would give him strength. Lord, that you would fill him so much with your Holy Spirit that folks would be amazed, not at him, but at you. Lord, as we gather here, we thank you for those who do their best to protect us, who volunteer their time to miss the service. Lord, to 
to look after uh, us. Lord, give us wisdom as we move forward that, Lord, we might be wise in how we protect ourselves, but, Lord, also that we would be unashamed of the gospel and that we would continue to be an open door for this community, even folks, Lord, who are different from us. God, as we look at your scripture this morning, we pray that as you promised, Lord, it would come alive to us, that it would make sense, that we would see it, that we would see you through it, and we'd be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about to enter high school several years ago, I had grown up, and the only coach that I'd ever really had was my dad. My dad was a baseball player back in his day, and he had coached me in Little League and in All-Stars and so on. I remember very distinctly a conversation that I was having with my dad because as I was about to enter high school, dad was no longer going to be my coach. And I was going into a, a high school program, and, and I've talked a little bit about this before, but the, the program had been very successful, and it was very good, it was very competitive, and the coaches were, were sometimes very difficult men, and, and that was just the way things were. But they were very smart, and they knew the game, and they knew how to help young men become better baseball players. And so I remember very distinctly the conversation that my dad had with me, and he sat me down and he said, look, he said, we've had some good times in baseball. We've done some good things and you've been successful. He said, but I have taken you as far as I can take you. He said, now I want you to go listen to them. And and I'll never forget that. And that was really one of the keys to to me being a high school baseball player at Pleasure Ridge Park High School and playing under a a coach that I had not played for before. And, And my dad just simply saying, okay, it's time for you to move on from what I've taught you and go listen to them. And that must have been pretty tough for my dad to say those things because my dad had coached me all along and he cared for my my well-being and cared for me as a player and so on. But he had taken me and he knew it. He had taken me as far as he could and it was time for me to trust in someone else as my coach. I, I, I think as we'll see as we get toward the close of the book of Job, that Job has gone as far as he can with what he had always been taught. What he had always believed about God. Now, it had served him in some ways. Uh, His belief, what he had heard, what he had always kind of thought about God, had made him aware that there is an almighty God. It had made him aware of God's dealings in the world, that this powerful God uh, had had his hands all over this world. It had given him some sense of accountability that that there is a God that I answer to. And really, it had, it had helped him orient his life in, in sort of like a subject to a king, that I, I am here to, to, to please and to obey and to serve this God. But in so many ways, what he had always thought and what he had always believed about God didn't prepare him for the harsh realities that he faced, as we've seen in our series so far. And when things went really wrong in his life, Job didn't have any answers based upon what he had always been taught. All he had were questions. And for several chapters, as we've seen in the last few weeks, that's what Job did, was just ask questions. Why this and why that? Our series has been When Life Doesn't Make Sense. This is number 14 of 15. It'll be over after next week. And thematically, I'll just tell you that this week and next week will be very similar. Uh, It is a message that I believe I could preach every single week and still have more to say about it the following week. Still need to reiterate the same message because it is very simply, I think, what we struggle with most. The questions that we've explored so far, just as a review in our series called When Life Doesn't Make Sense, what does God really want from me? That was the very first one. 
What really does God want from me? What's he looking for? Uh, the second one was, what happens if I live right? Now, if I do these things that God wants, I mean, you know, am I guaranteed certain things? Everything's going to go well. What happens? And then next we looked at, why do I follow God anyway? Job, of course, if you know his story and you've been with us a little bit, uh, he he has this a description of him by God himself in Job chapter 1, where God says that Job is this incredible man of integrity. Uh, he walks with God. He, he's repentant. He shuns evil. He worships God alone. He's very devoted. Uh, and and uh, Job then gets to experience, what do I do when all the good stuff in my life is taken away? Will I still follow God anyway? And then the next question we looked at is, what would I do if I lost it all? Job lost everything. He lost all of his possessions, he lost his income, he lost his retirement plan, he lost everything that he had. And then he lost all of his kids. They all died. Devastating. And then he lost his health and the support of his wife. He's all alone. What would I do if I lost it all? And then the question that Job asked from the very beginning is, why was I ever born? If this was going to be my life, Lord, why did you even allow me to be born? Why was I, why was I not stillborn? Why was I even conceived? Lord, why was I ever born? And then Job goes on and he asks more questions. What did I do to deserve this? You've asked those same questions, so have I. What about this? God, this situation in my life that won't go away, it's so painful. What did I do to deserve this? Then Job gets to the point where he doesn't seem to be getting any answers from God and he just says, what's the point in talking to God anyway? He's not answering me. And then we looked at the sermon on where is God when it hurts. I mean, is God really here? Is He he with me? And then will my pain ever end? And why doesn't anyone understand? And the ultimate question we came to was, is God really good? And then Job looked around at his friends who had been such miserable comforters, he says, and with friends like these, who needs enemies? We've gone through all those questions. All those tough, tough issues. And Job, he just pours out everything in his heart because he's lost it all. Now, none of us, of course, no matter how deep our pain and suffering is, none of us really knows how deeply Job suffered. I doubt that anybody in here could say, yeah, I've had that and that and that and that and that and all those things. I fully understand, but we get glimpses of it. We understand his questions and we've asked the same things. We've wondered, where is God? We've wondered if He's really good. We've wondered why bad things happen to good people like us. We've wondered why no one seems to truly care or understand or have answers for us. And we've been depressed and we've been at rock bottom and we've hit our breaking points. Wondering, is there any reason for me to keep on living? And some of us are there right now. I had news this week, and and I I know of friends that are probably there right now. There was a young lady that I remember from when she was in high school. I used to be a high school teacher once upon a time, and and she was my teacher's aide when she was a senior. And so she uh, she graduated, I guess, in 2002 it was. I coached her brother uh, and a cousin and knew her family very, very well. And this week she died giving birth to twins. Out of nowhere, very unusual. 33 years old. The twins are both premature, but they will survive. She also has a five-year-old daughter. Her husband is the football coach at Pleasure Ridge Park High School. He coached the game Friday night after his wife died on Wednesday. 
The funeral service will be tomorrow. And it's just a tragic, tragic situation. I can only imagine the questions that they're asking, as you have probably asked if you've been in a similar situation. What in the world? This doesn't even make any sense. This doesn't happen. How how could it have happened? And all we want, I think, in that situation is for God to say something. For God to just give us some reason. I mean, even if it's a reason we don't like, just give me something. Why? And yet, he's often silent. Yet he seems so distant in those scenarios. And that's how Job was for a long, long time, just pouring his heart out to a God who didn't even seem to be there and didn't seem to care. And then as we saw last week, if you were with us, when God finally does speak, guess what he doesn't give? An answer. He just gives a lot of questions. He just questions Job. Main questions he said first was, are you in control? No, if you're not, okay, won't you trust the one who is? And then Job, are you also, are you... Are you scared of death? Are you scared of the evil that's in the world? And well, yeah. Well, then trust the one who isn't. He didn't give anything about Job's possessions, or his income, or his retirement plan, or his kids, or his health, or his wife's support. God didn't speak to any of those things. It was just all about God, who He is, what He has done, the power He has, and rhetorical questions that Job had no answer for that just proved that Job didn't measure up to who God is. What would you say to all that? I mean, what do you say? Would you be frustrated? I might. Would you be angry? Lord, okay, yeah, I get it, but that wasn't the answer to my question. Would you scream back at God? All that Job had been taught up to this point in his life, all that he understood told him that there was a direct answer for everything that happened in life. That there was a cause and effect. Exactly, you can figure everything out. And listen, as Americans, we believe the same thing. Because we can figure things out. It's one of the great things about America is we can figure it out. We can do it. We've got answers. We are smart and capable and we can figure out what's going on. Job had been taught all along, and I've told you this every single week, and if you remember nothing from this series, you're going to remember this. He had been taught that if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, then you get bad in return. And if you're getting good, then you must have done something good. And if you're getting bad, then you must have done something bad. Now, God doesn't address any of that stuff with Job. He doesn't tell Job what he did wrong. Job knew all along he had done nothing wrong. And so his theology is being questioned. God just talks about who he is and by implication who Job isn't. It was as if God is saying all that you've known and you've taken for granted and whatever you thought you knew, that's taken you as far as it can. Now it's time for you to listen to me, Job. There was a choice for Job to make at the end of this book, chapter 42. If you want to get there, you can hold your place. Job chapter 42, all of it at the very end. A choice for Job to make at the end of all of his questions, at the end of all that God had said to him, a choice for him to make. Now his friends, the guys sort of that he had grown up playing ball with, that kind of makes sense, they kept telling him that what he always knew was good enough, and it was true, and it was right. But God was leading him somewhere else. And the choice that he faced is the same one that I believe that we face today. Our situations are... Not really altogether unlike Job's. Our questions are the same as his, and so our choice is the same as his. It's a choice of who or what I will trust moving forward. Now, I know that this series has not answered all of your questions. 
and it's possibly left you with more, and life is kind of like that. And so with our still unanswered questions, we're going to move forward. We're going to, we're going to live. We have a choice to make. It's between who or what we will trust. You look on the left side of your bulletin, low outline there, and the first choice is, I trust in retribution. This is what Job had been taught all along. I trust in retribution, what he had been raised with. And probably, honestly, what many of us have been raised on, whether we know it, whether we want to admit it or not. And it kind of goes something like this. Here is the idea. If I live the right way, meaning if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a good person, I stay out of trouble, um, you know, I, I look but don't touch, uh, I go to church, I give some money, I take up for people, I mind my own business, then there are certain things that I can expect to happen in life. Like, okay, I'll be taken care of. Or the, the problems that I face will have an answer. Or people will, will like me. Or, or God will be pleased with me. And so everything's going to kind of go my way a little bit. And then, of course, I know on the flip side, like if I live the wrong way, so if I'm not a good person, if I get myself in trouble, if I go too far with temptation, if I don't go to church, if I refuse to be generous, if I, if I pick on people, if I stick my nose where it doesn't belong, then there are certain things I can expect that are going to happen as a result of that. Like, life is going to be really hard. And people aren't going to like me. And the problems I have uh, will be my fault. And God won't like me either. Now we know that there is a, a truth, absolute truth, to the fact that you reap what you sow. We understand that if you make dumb decisions, you go spend all your money and more, you're probably not going to have any money left over, right? If you spend more than you make, you'll get upside down financially, right? We know that. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about just general wise decisions. This is talking about that automatically, if things are going my way, it's because I have made them so. And if things don't go my way, then I'm the problem. And it's just retribution. And so in a way, we think what we think anyway is right. We expect God to make things go our way if we've done what's right. We see people living in a way that is wrong. We expect God to take care of them. Lord, you crush them. Do away with the people that don't like you. You've prayed those prayers, haven't you? I know I have. Go on to the Psalms and you look for the, what, the, the, the prayers that call down curses on enemies and so on. All right, well, Lord, that's what I want you to do. And when people have things happen to them that are good people, you say, God, why did that happen? I mean, you know, I don't understand. They're such a good person. Why would that happen? I remember when I was a junior in high school, and I was playing terribly. I mean, it was awful. I was bad. And we were about to play in, back then, what was known as the semi-state or the sectional tournament. And if we win this small little tournament, we go to the final four of the state tournament, okay? I had a girlfriend at the time, and, and I came to the conclusion that the reason that I was not playing well is because I was extremely distracted by going to this girl's house all the time when I probably should have been working on my game and whatever, okay? So I made the choice that it was time to break up with her. And uh, just as a side note, I went three for four the next day after, after I did that. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't think she cared for that. Hopefully she doesn't... Uh, I think I'm friends with her mom on Facebook. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this. Anyway, what am I talking about? All right. I remember breaking up with her, and I'll never forget the conversation. She looked at me, and she had begun to go to, to my church and that kind of stuff. And she looked at me, and she said, I've gone to church. I've changed my life. I've done all these things, and now it's for nothing. And I thought as a 16-year-old guy, I thought, boy, that's a lot of pressure. 
man, I, you know. And then over time, as, as I've thought back on that experience, it's hit me that that kind of thinking is, you know what? If I do things right, then everything will work out. I'll get the person that I want to be together with, and everything's just going to go fine. And some of us have done everything right, and what? People leave us. It doesn't go our way. All of this kind of thinking really is based to me on two general principles. The first is that God owes me. God owes me. God owes me for what I do bad. He owes me punishment. That's okay. I got out of line. God's fully justified in punishing me. But not as much as, you know, he owes punishment to the people that are worse than me. I mean, as long as the punishment isn't too bad, you know, okay. But also, God owes me for what I do good. He owes me some sort of reward. I do good things, and so God owes me a reward. Or at least he, he, like, he owes me not punishment. So I'm going to do some things so I can avoid punishment, which is in and of itself its own reward. So essentially, if I do enough good, I won't get any bad in return because God owes me for what I've done good for him. So I'm going to church. I'm doing some good things, just like this girl was. And I think that everything's going to work out. And then all, what, what happens? Oh, it's all for nothing. When good things happen, I feel really close to God. And when bad things happen, I feel punished by God, far from God. And honestly, if I'm doing what's right, and God doesn't come through on His end of the bargain that I made with Him, then I hate God, and I hate church, and I hate everybody. That's the way we operate a lot of times. The problem with that is that life isn't fair. You want to live according to what you think God owes you, we could uh, have a whole other sermon on what really God owes us. Which isn't the word nothing, but God owes us eternal damnation and punishment. That's what He owes us. But secondly, this, this is based on a principle not only that God owes me, but I owe God. You've probably heard it said this way. Well, you know, I mean, He gave His life for me. I mean, the least I can do is live my life for Him. I mean, I owe him that much. I mean, I, I owe God uh, doing what is right. So, so I go to church because I owe God that every Sunday morning. I mean, I owe God at least an hour a week, and so I'm going to show up. You know, I owe God a little bit of money because, you know, he's given me so much, so I owe him in return. I, you know, God, is, he, he's been so good to me, so I mean, I owe him to volunteer some time somewhere to help the community or the church. Or to do some nice things for people. Because I owe that to God for what He did for me. I mean, I, you know, I'm trying just to repay God for what He's done for me. You've probably heard sermons like that. That stuff will preach. I mean, it really will. It'll preach. It's, boy. You've probably heard Sunday school lessons like that. You've got people in your life that have said, you know what, you owe it to God. But the problem is, we can't repay God. You ever thought about that? Do you realize that even living your life for God can't repay Him for what He has done for you? We talk a lot here about what salvation is and what salvation requires. And I've told you before, and and I hope that whenever it is that the Lord leads me away from this place, either by death or retirement or if... Somehow God says, you're just done, period. And one of the things you remember is that we have talked about that salvation is Jesus plus what? Nothing. 
Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus what I can repay plus what I can repay Him. Not Jesus plus me doing these good things. It's Jesus plus nothing. Because if it's Jesus plus anything, then who is not enough? Jesus. If He's not enough, then the whole Bible goes out the window. It's got to be Jesus plus nothing. Not anything I can do. Not even my repayment for Him. So what do I owe God? I owe God nothing. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. You understand? You get what I'm saying? I don't owe God my life. Not because of Jesus anymore anyway. He took my life. He took what I owe to God. He paid the debt. And I'm going to tell you, living a life where God owes me and I owe God, that's a life of guilt because I can never do enough. That's a life of fear because, oh man, I just messed up. (laughs) Here come the lightning bolts. That's a life of obligation. Well, I don't really want to, but I mean, I know I've got to do this or else God's going to be mad. I don't want God mad, so, you know. You see that? Is that is that the kind of life you want to live as a believer in Christ? I don't. I don't want any part of that stuff. But that's all that Job had been taught. And sometimes all that we have been taught. And it was shot all to pieces by his suffering and the words that he got from God in, in response to it all. So Job could keep trusting in retribution. All he'd been taught is the foundation of his life. But he knew it wasn't true anymore, so he had to make a choice. Job chapter 42, he makes the choice. Look at it, verse 1. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely, Job says this, surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. And then Job says, I had heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. Job makes the choice, I believe, in these moments, no longer to trust in retribution, but to say, I trust in God. I trust in God. He says in verse 2, you are God, I'm not. Verse 3, I spoke out of turn. I ventured into an area beyond me. Verse 5, I had heard about you, what I'd always known, retribution, what I'd always been taught. But now he says in verse 5, I have seen you, I've experienced you, the one who is in control, the one who is Lord over evil and death and all the bad things in the world. And so in verse 6, he says, I I take it back. I take back my words. I was wrong. And I humble myself in repentance before you. And from this moment on, I believe this is when Job really learns to trust in God. Not what he had been taught all along. I've taken you as far as I can take you, this retribution principle would say. Now it's time for you to go trust in God. And Job says the same thing. And it's based on two foundational principles that are the exact opposite of what we just looked at. The first is that God loves me. Not that God owes me. Because out of his love, God has taken away what he owes me and he's given me what he did not owe me. Retribution theology doesn't leave any room for love or for mercy or grace. But trusting God is based completely on those things. God loves me. God loves you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 
it says that while we were still sinners, guess what? God didn't wait for us to to pay back what we owed. While we were still sinners, you might know the verse, God demonstrated His love toward us. And He says in that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to repay Him. Oh, well, you owe me. And when you finally get to where, okay, I feel like you've paid back enough, then I will love you. You know what John 3.16 says? For God so loved. That means He loved in a certain way. Here's how God loved. For God so loved the world that what? That He waited for everybody to make sure that they could pay Him back and do what's right, and then He would do something. No, no, no. What does it say? God so loved the world that He gave His one and only, His only begotten Son, that what? Whosoever will pay Him back and live the right kind of life and, and, and get yourself straight will receive eternal life, right? No. Whoever will what? Believe in Him. You think God's waiting for you to repay Him? Maybe that's what you've always been taught. God's just simply waiting for you to recognize that He loves you. I'm going to tell you, that, that, that is revolutionary, as simple as it sounds. Because we got a lot of people sitting in church every Sunday trying to pay God back. And that's why you're here. I believe God wants you to experience His love. His personal love. Demonstrated in that He left heaven and went to a cross. To demonstrate His love, to remove His wrath. And so as a result of God loves me, what? I love God. I don't owe God. I don't walk around and say, Well, okay, God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a rotten, miserable, terrible, awful person. God, I hate myself, and I know you do too. And Lord, I'm trying. Maybe one day I'll get it together. And then, Lord, okay, you can love me. And God, I'm, you know, I'm trying to love you by doing these things. You know, you ever been beaten down like that? Somebody like, well, that's me right now, right now. Here I am. And I've told you before. I, I, I'm glad you're here on Sunday morning. But if you are here out of mere obligation, because you think I'll think something bad about you if you don't show up, or you think God will think something bad about you because you don't show up, guess what? Don't show up next week. Seriously. And see what happens. Don't show up. And we're having a fellowship meal next week, so bring your food, but then go home, okay? (laughs) We need your food. It's good. But you get what I'm saying? I mean, if that's what we're doing, I, mean, I wonder how many people would not show up next week if we just said, you know, I, I'm just doing this because I don't want God to be mad at me. But but what if you dealt with all week, Lord, I, I just want your love to wash over me. Lord, I just want to understand your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, next week I'm showing up out of an expression of love for you. What would that change about your church experience? What would that change about your life during this week? And I'm not doing it so that God will get off my back and I can repay Him one more deposit in the bank for God. No, I do it because I love God. Because there's no place I'd rather be than with God's people learning about this love and grace of this glorious God. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, was what? To love God. The Lord your God, with all your heart, and all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. He didn't say the greatest commandment is do all that you can to repay God for what He's done for you. Love the Lord your God. 
And you can say all week long, Lord, I just, I love you because you have first loved me. I wonder where we are with this this morning. God owes me, I owe God, or God loves me, therefore I love God. Am I choosing to believe in retribution moving forward, or am I choosing to trust in God? Because here's the thing, I said before, I think this is foundational, this is huge in our lives. You will walk out of here, I will walk out of here, and tomorrow we will functionally live according to one of these two things. We will functionally live. That is how we will operate. Well, I say I trust God, but I tell you what, He really, boy, He, I don't, you know, God, why in the world? We're going to functionally live based on one of these things, either retribution or trusting God. One will keep you in bondage. One will keep you in fear, guilt, shame, and obligation. The other will set you free to experience Jesus in a brand new way every day. Let me encourage you, choose wisely. Will I trust in retribution or trust in God? Let's pray together. Just it's got to be Jesus plus nothing, or we don't fully understand it. It has to be, it has to be Jesus plus nothing, or else Jesus isn't enough. Let Him be enough. Simply surrender this morning, Lord. I, I confess my sin to you. I believe in you as the Son of God. And I repent this morning, turning to you in faith. You and you alone, not you plus anything else, not you plus what I can repay you, not you plus all the things that I'm going to do that are good. You and you alone, or Jesus plus nothing. That's what I'm counting on. I'd love to be able to celebrate with you, talk more with you about that. Try to answer some questions, look at the Scripture together. See what really is true, that it is Jesus plus nothing. And then this week, Live your life in response to the love and the grace of God and love Him back. What does that mean? I don't know. You're going to figure it out. Love Him back. And then I will pray all week long. You show up next Sunday because you love God and you're ready to celebrate who He is. Our Heavenly Father, we confess to You that so many times we operate with a belief in retribution that You owe us something, good or bad. And that we owe you something. We're just trying so hard, Lord, to earn our salvation and to do the right things and check off the boxes. And Lord, this morning, we truly do just want to believe in you. Because we know that you're enough, that you love us. So Lord, help us to love you as you have first loved us. Lord, that's our cry and our prayer this morning. Set us free, Lord, to truly follow you to leave behind all that we've been taught maybe this wrong before and simply to receive you this morning. Lord, functionally teach us to trust in you every single day. We thank you for your love, for your grace and your mercy demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's his name we glorify. And in his name we pray. Amen.